Yeah, uh, first of all, praise God. Uh, I want to thank you guys, all of you, all of you men being here today. Uh, before I share my story, I just want to share a little bit about it. Uh, you know, for a long time, I was really uh, hesitant to share my story and also, uh, I guess, afraid to share it because I was scared to show vulnerability in my life. And one thing that I don't enjoy about my story is that it's not rare amongst Native America. My, my story is one that resonates with a lot of young people that come from reservations and, you know, a lot of young people that come from around the world. But, uh, you know, the earliest memories I have growing up, you know, is watching my mother sit in a pool of her own blood. You know, I, I grew up with a dad who was an alcoholic, you know, and as much as I uh, appreciated my dad and as much as I knew certain things about him, you know, my dad was funny, my dad was goofy, but when alcohol became part of his life, it was like a light would switch. And I wouldn't recognize the man that would walk through the door. So I grew up through a lot of domestic violence and watching him hurt my mom. And as a result of that, you know, the only thing that started to grow inside of my life was, was bitterness. I didn't know how to communicate to people what was going on in my household. I didn't know how to tell people what was going on inside of my heart. You know, as a little kid having to stand next to the, door, the closest exit because you didn't know what was going to happen. You know, uh, a small kid having to clean up your mother after my dad got, got, got done hurting her. You know, like, and having to talk my mom out of her depression episodes. You know, it's just a young kid and having to almost grow up really fast, really quick. and. I was hateful of it, and I was, I was angry for a long time because I felt like I didn't deserve that, and I didn't deserve having to, to go through that. And as I got older, you know, I, I ran to a lot of drugs, I ran to a lot of alcohol, I, really, I ran to relationships, and a big part of that was because something was missing inside of my heart. For the, for the longest time, what I really wanted was my dad to step up and be the father figure that he was created to be, and he wasn't doing it. And because that didn't happen in my life, it, it drove me to a, a point on a path that was leading only to death. And I got to a point in my life where I really kind of just looked at what I was doing and I saw that I was becoming the very thing I didn't want to become. And it broke me. It broke me so bad to the point where I thought, I'm just another number. I'm just another statistic. I'm just another Native American who's gonna throw his life away at alcohol and eventually take his life. So why, why should I be here any longer? Why should I be alive? And these questions, it started to scare me because there was something internally telling me that I was supposed to be here. I just didn't know what that was. I found that when I heard about this man named Jesus, when I read about this God of the Bible, when I read about this father of the fatherless, when I read about somebody that loved me so much that they were willing to give their life for me. I'd never seen that before in my life. And so when I saw that laying out right before me, that a God loved me so much that was willing to give his life for me, I was, I was in shock. And I had recognized that the life that I was living was separating me from the one who made me. And it terrified me even more because there was nothing that I could do. From a young age, I had to grow up taking care of everything, taking care of my mother, taking care of my siblings doing all these different things, having to start working at a young age to make sure my mom, you know, helping her with money and doing all these things, I felt like I had to be in control and I had to be on top of everything else. And I had to, I had to make sure that we were okay. And it was the first time in my life I was told that there was nothing I could do. And it scared me. But as I read more, 
I read that it was not about what I do, but it was about what this God of the Bible did. And he sent his son so that I would have an opportunity to begin a relationship with God. My, my sins and the things that I was doing in my life, that's what God came for. And it was breaking my heart. It was felt like this, this heart of stone was finally turning into a heart of flesh. And I was starting to finally see that I, I can't do this alone. And I recognized, like, God, you, would you please come into my life? Would you change me? Would you give me hope? And he did. And I tell you, I stand here now, a living testament. As a young man who was once wanting to take his life, I stand here so grateful and so thankful for God's mercy and God's grace because he has given me something that I never thought that I needed in all of my life. And that was a new heart. Not, a, not an empty, hollow shell, but something that's living, something that's here, something that's present, something that's made for a specific purpose. And because I hung on to this relationship, it felt like all my life I was drowning and it was the first time someone threw me a life raft. And I didn't want to hang on to it with just one hand. I wanted to hang on to it with everything that I had. And God has walked me through some of the deepest hurts from not only my trauma, but also just the unforgiveness that I was allowing to be a part of my life. And from the time I, I began my relationship with God, He has put me on a fast track to drawing him closer to him and I realized that the closer he drew me to him the safer I became and the more whole that I became the happier I became the more joyful I became the more passionate I became the, the more tears I could cry and because of that like I have an opportunity to, to lead amongst my people I have an opportunity to pour into those who, who are younger than me who have the opportunity to lead as well. And God has reconciled my relationship with my mother. And most importantly, God has reconciled my relationship with my father. Even so far as to the last year of my dad's life, he gave his heart to the Lord. If God, yeah, if God. And if God can change a man like my dad, and if God can change a man like me, God can change anyone's life. And that's why I do what I do is because I get to stand up in front of crowds, especially young Native American crowds, and I get to tell them their identity in Christ. I get to tell them why God gave his son. And I get to look them in the eyes and tell them it's because of you. You are the reason. You know, and I, I am grateful and I'm thankful that God has put men in my life like Ron to help me learn how to communicate, not just my story, but to communicate the story of the one who created all of us. And to offer that, like it says in the Bible, to all nations, all tongues, all tribes. Because one day we're all gonna stand before him and every knee will bow. Praise God, you know, and I, I just wanted to say to you guys as men, you know, I've. I know, you know, it's when I first began my relationship with Christ, it's everything wasn't perfect after that. It, it took a lot of work and it's still taking a lot of work, a lot of surrender and a lot of submitting. And Ron told me one thing that I'll never forget that we're the surrenders that we had in our past. We're not exempt to the surrenders that we have today. Every single day, every decision we make, every choice we make, we have to surrender those to God. 
And I stand before you guys as, as a man who doesn't always get it right, who chooses things that are less than God, but I also stand before you guys to tell you guys that, that God loves you and God sees you. And he wants the parts of your life that are sometimes hard to give up. But it doesn't mean it's impossible because with God, all things are possible. So thank you for allowing me to come up here and share my story. Uh, I'll probably introduce Ron right now, but uh, I'm, I'm thoroughly convinced that Ron's uh, from a tribe. Uh, he's from the Creek tribe because, because every time he moves, something, something creaks. So, but I, I'll tell you what, the, the, the first time I met Ron, I didn't know about his ministry, uh, being a part of a Youth for Christ, or being a part of all the ministry up here, uh, I knew nothing about it. And so I didn't know about how prestigious his name was. I didn't know about his radio ministry. When I met Ron, I, I met a man who, who loved Jesus and showed it through his actions, and showed it through his diligence in, in being in the Word, and through his leadership. And all of that other stuff is, is awesome and amazing, but... Ron, Ron helped change my life, and I'm very thankful that God put him in my life, and I'm happy that you guys get an opportunity to hear from him this morning. Um, thank you for coming. Wes, come here. Come here a second. Yeah, wait, I'll just close in prayer. <laughs> that was, uh, no, come here, come here, Wes, come here. Let me show you uh, the scripture verse that describes my relationship with him. He must increase, I must decrease. Oh, boy. Um, the, the wicked shall be cut short, the Bible says. It's just a disturbing verse. Uh, thank you all for being here. There's uh, I'm with Jersey guys. Hey, I'm home. So this is, this is cool. I'm getting real bagels, you know. Had some real cheesecake yesterday. Everything else uh, they call, ba it's bagels everywhere else. Actually, it's doggy chew toys, I think. You know, this this is the real deal right here. So, uh, and I love, thank you guys for the music, Ken. Thank you that I didn't know you were doing all this kind of stuff. Even have a, well, it's a violin here, a fiddle where I'm from. Yep. I was going to take up the violin, but they said I was too high strung. Sure. Did you pay to get in? <laughs> well, <shh. laughs> listen, um, Wes represents my heroes, um, young men and women who come out in most toxic, broken environments and lives. That's why so many end their lives so young. And God got a hold of this guy and, and, and watching on reservations across America. I've been on about 120 reservations with a team of Native Americans. And when God gets a hold of the life of one of the first Americans, look out. It is really powerful because they are warriors. And that's a warrior right there for the greatest cause on the planet. Well, um, let me pray. And then um, I don't know if I need to speak because you already did. That was so, so cool. I love it when a guy gives their hope story. When a guy gives um, a hope story, it's what we call a testosterone. Did you pay to get? Never mind. Let, Let's, let's pray. Lord, we need you always. We need you now. And I pray, Lord, because I don't know the needs and the burdens and the concerns and the battles that came into this room when I, my brothers came in. You do. 
And I pray you touch each one of us and start with me. Thank you for the miracle you do in our life. Wes is just one of the miracles in this room. Do some more, even here. In Jesus' name, amen. So I was flying back from Chicago to Newark, and um, we were in, I think we were over Western Jersey, and um, and 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 I said, um, you know, that looks familiar. I think I've seen that barn before. And then, then I got to see it again a few minutes later, and then I got to see it a few minutes later. You know why? We were in a holding pattern. Yeah, you know, those are frustrating, especially if you got to be somewhere and make a connection, right? And so I want, I saw that barn a lot that, that day. And uh, I mean, a holding pattern is frustrating because you're, you, you are moving, it's, you're not standing still, you're in motion and you're burning fuel, yeah. And uh, you are, um, uh, and you're comfortable. I wasn't uncomfortable on the plane, just wasn't going anywhere. Just going around in circles, getting no closer to my destination. A lot of us know that feeling. Because um, it's kind of like a holding pattern. It may not be that life is bad. In fact, it might be very comfortable. It might be pretty successful. Things are going okay. But it, it, and you're in motion and you're sure burning energy. But it's like I'm not getting closer to my destination. I just I, I don't I don't know if I'm going anywhere. Sometimes it feels like I'm going in circles. And there's a sense that there's more, but we don't know quite how to reach it. Well, we got some help this morning. A few days ago, I was saying, Lord, I am clueless. I This is my, I was saying to Matt, I think my sixth time speaking in the last 72 hours. I am really sick of me. <laughs> and you guys are at dinner last night. You're like, yeah, Ron, we're kind of going there too. Uh, but the fact is, I said, Lord, I don't know. I, I really don't. You know what you want me to talk to the guys about? Then I did. I don't know why I always have my good ideas in the bathroom. Is there something? What is so inspiring about the bathroom? I don't know, but uh, that's where. And I, I keep, I keep a, a, a list in there. I like, oh gosh, write this down quick. So I'm pretty sure God really wanted me to talk about this this morning. Three champions, three challenges, three chances. Now, these three champions are going to help us. One of those champions was what I call a spiritual arsonist. And in the first century, he started a fire with his fire that... Um, I'm sorry. You have to, uh, we're getting kind of weird. Am uh, I done already? Yeah. Am I done already? No, not yet. No. It moves back. I, there's like some Can kind we of close in prayer at least? Oh, what? It moves back. There's some kind of noise. Yeah, what are, we, are we in a holding pattern? What's going on? Yeah. Is this it? Does this do it? Yeah. That's good. Excellent. What was happening? Well, I think it could be that's not feedback. I think it could be the wireless mic and this thing is like interfering. So anyway, please continue. Spiritual arsonist. Yeah. Spiritual arsonist. Yeah. Started a fire in his country that changed everything. And then and then the, the second champion uh, wrote some of the most significant literature ever written on this planet, continues to be profound today, uh, also um, was a crusader who literally rocked the world with his work that he did. 
And then the third one, well, he he really was a champion because his life split history in two and made everything BC and AD. Let's go back. Spiritual arsonist. Well, we know him as John the Baptist. Now somebody goes, oh, Baptist, I'm Presbyterian. I'm sorry, I don't, I'm not, I can't listen to this. No, this is not, this is before denominations. This is, this is, a, there was no Baptist then. Uh, by the way, you know what kind of, uh, of uh, donuts um, Baptists eat, don't you? Duncan. Anyway, did you pay, the, never mind. Uh, so, so the, uh, it's interesting that, that, um, Here's, here's what John the Baptizer had to say. I actually had a friend of mine who is a, uh, a pastor on a Native American reservation in New York State that is one of the hardest to the gospel of Christ we've ever been on. And he has been there for over 30 years among his own people. He's really looked to by everybody. Uh, even the traditional people who don't believe what he believes go to him for help. And he said, Ron, somebody gave me five words from John the Baptist, and I thought you might need them too. Turns out I did. Here's what John the Baptist said. When they came, the Pharisees came out, everybody came out to where he was baptizing. And he said these five words, I am not the Messiah. Those, um, those words are a challenge to all of us. See, the Messiah was the one that was going to come and people thought solve all the problems, uh, help broken hearts, set the prisoners free, change everything. And ultimately, Jesus did and will. A lot of Messiah inside of some of us. Because we, we have, and this isn't all bad, but we have this feeling if it's going to happen, I got to make it happen. It's up to me. Now that that that's being responsible, and that's good, and that's why some people in this room have been pretty successful. What they've been, because you've acted like it's up to you. But that can get out of control, because we're going to fix everything. I got to fix it. I got to make a call. I've got to talk to somebody. I've got to come up with a plan. I got to make it happen in the process, and tried to control, we end up crushing. In the process of trying to fix, like our wife, or our kids, or our circumstances beyond our control, and trying to fix it, we break it. And trying to make it happen, we get in the way of what God wanted to do and miss it. Happened in the Bible. Moses said, well, my people aren't supposed to be slaves. And I, I think I'm God's man to lead them out of slavery. So he killed an Egyptian. He was the choice to do it. But he messed it up. Because he, he was the Messiah. He was going to make it happen. He had to be in the wilderness for 40 years before he could actually carry it out and be humbled in that wilderness. Uh, Abraham and Sarah, they were, they, they, God promised them they were going to have a child of promise, and it would be the beginning of a great nation, but 
they were old and couldn't wait. And so they're going to make it happen. Sleep with my servant, Sarah said. And he did and had Ishmael. And we are 4,000 years later. And Isaac and Ishmael are fighting it out in the Middle East today. Yeah, I'm going to make it happen. I am not the Messiah. Those words can give you a chance and me to have some freedom and peace, finally. I jotted down a few notes. I lost my glasses in New York yesterday. That's really great. So these are, uh, I got these from Dr. Walgreen. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and uh, you look weird, but I can see why, what's in my notes. Um, and and uh, I thought, you know, um, I know what it is to try to carry all the weight. I was... Um, Four years ago, or three, three or four years ago, I met with Ken Carl, and uh, I met with that young fellow that was up here starting everything out again. His name is Matt. His name is in the Bible, Matthew. I'm jealous. The only time I'm in the Bible is due to Ron, I mean. Um, and, you know, I'm not stretching it. And, and you know what? Uh, we met and we talked about a dream, which would be a leadership center for Native American young people to come and be intensively discipled and equipped to be leaders for their people in a, in a, a one-of-a-kind gap year program. That dream is now a reality, and those students, I'll be back there teaching them in a couple of days. Uh, the interesting thing is, though, when we were starting into that, I'm like, I got to make this happen. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of planning. Boy, we got to... January 4th, 2021, it's in my spiritual journal, and it's in big letters because it was like God was shouting it at me, and I wrote down what I heard him say. It says, hands off, Ron. I'm doing this. If I need you to do something, I'll let you know. Otherwise, hands off. To the glory of God, that center in the most expensive days you could have built a building. You know what's happened to construction during that period of time, off the charts. That building is paid in full. There is no mortgage. There is no loan. There is nothing owed. But I had to make sure there were no fingerprints, fingerprints of Ron on it. I had to slap my hand a few times. Guys, there's tremendous freedom and peace in being able to say, I am not the Messiah. You don't fix your wife. You don't fix your kid. You don't fix your future. You say, if it's going to happen, it's got to be God. He's the only Messiah there is. So um, that, that was, uh, that, that's the first, what I'd say, liberating challenge. You know, um, our, our oldest granddaughter, uh, Noelle, she was, um, Doug and Brad were on the reservation. And... <laughs> And um, Noel was firstborn. Uh, how many of you are firstborn? Firstborn people? Oh, you'll understand this then. Um, yeah, Noel was like, I think three or four, maybe four. And she was walking through the living room with a backpack. She had all her books in the backpack. She's like this, all bent over. And uh, Doug, Doug says, 
honey, uh, you know, you don't really have to carry that. Daddy would be glad to. Oh, no. I'm going to go to the back. Um, Lance, Ron. Um, and 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 he said, honey, you don't have to carry. Dad will be glad to carry that for you. Here's the first point. No, daddy, I can do it. Right? That's us. I can do it, daddy. She takes about two more steps. She says, daddy, it's too heavy. I can't carry it anymore. And uh, and Doug took it, of course. It was no big deal for him. And he said, how's that, honey bear? And she said, oh, that's so much better. I wonder how many times God is saying, you don't have to carry that, Messiah man. Would you let me pick that up and carry that for you? Daddy feels so much better now. So, um, if there are any fellow Messiah candidates here in the room, look in the mirror and say the liberating words, I am not the Messiah. Peter, for all of his skill as a fisherman, fished all night, and for all the effort, showed nothing. Then they have one stinking fish until Jesus took command of his ship and told them where to fish. Peter, for all of his years of seamanship on the Sea of Galilee, couldn't do a thing to save his crew in the storm until Jesus showed up and controlled the storm. Peter, for all his bravado about what he was going to do for Jesus, couldn't even tell a little 12-year-old girl he belonged to him and cursed and swore and said, I never heard him. Failed Jesus miserably in his great in Jesus' hour of need. And then that night, there was a surrender as Peter wept bitterly and everybody could hear him. The Greek word means cried out loud, wailing. And at that point of surrender, Peter's not the Messiah anymore. He's not making it happen. He tried to keep Jesus from going to the cross. He became an ear surgeon, cut off the ear of the servant of the guys who had come to arrest him. And, Peter, and Jesus said, put your sword away. Your thing, the way you always get things done, put it away. So, um, good news. You have a chance at peace and freedom. Hands off. The prophet Jeremiah said, um, let, not, let not the uh, wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the strong man glory in his strength. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories glory in this, that he has the understanding to know that I am the Lord. Yeah, you can lose a lot of that burden. Uh, second one, uh, second champion at that, has a challenge for us. I said, wrote all this great literature and, and actually under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it's the Apostle Paul, of course. And uh, he had this fascinating statement. Now, let, let's just review a little with the Apostle Paul. This is a man who did more to spread the message of Christ than anybody. I don't know, uh, arguably from a human perspective, we'd even be in this room had the Apostle Paul not sp spent, poured out his life to get the gospel out. Plus, he wrote half of the New Testament. 
under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I mean, this is a guy who, who is a, you talk about making it happen guy, but he paid a high price for it. Shipwrecked twice. Beaten 39 times with rods, three times. Stoned and left for dead in the streets of Lystra. Hunted by hitmen who wanted him dead for what he represented. Hated, marginalized by many. Yeah, he, he, had, he, he paid a price for what he did. Listen to what he wrote. Uh, let me uh, read a little bit of it to you, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. But there's seven words that really are pretty radical. He said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, my grace, but God said to me three times, I pleaded with the Lord to take away this thorn in the flesh. Uh, we don't know what it was. We do know this, that he, li he lived in constant pain from all the beatings and everything he had been through, traveling out all over, hurting all the time and hurting all over. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I'll boast, I'll boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. What? <laughs> so that Christ's power may rest on me. And then he says, here are the words. When I am weak, then I am strong. Really? We hate to be weak. We do everything to pretend we're strong, even if we're not. We're guys. We got this when we don't got this. He said, when I am weak, I am strong. What's that all about? Well, Paul tells us a little bit more in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, when he talks and very candidly says, I was at the point because of the hardships in my life where I felt like I had the sentence of death in me. He said, I was ready to die. This is Paul, the great strong man. He said, I was at the end, spent, done. And then he says in verse 8, but this all happened so that. He said, there was purpose in the pain. Here was the purpose. So that we would not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He said, I've been resurrected. I was almost dead. Because the curse is the curse of self-reliance. And God's been working on that one with this stubborn firstborn child for a long time. Because we, in fact, the more successful you've been and the more gifted you are and the smarter you are and the more the, the more victories you have had, the harder it is for God to break your self-reliance because you've got a lot of self to rely on until he brings you to the point where there's no you left. A child will do that. A marriage can do that. A report from a doctor can do that. A major loss can do that. And even someone as godly as the Apostle Paul said, until I had no Paul left, 
I was relying on me ultimately, not on God. And so those words are good news. How is it that when I'm weak, I am strong? The greatest day of my wife's life, some of you knew Karen, she was a force. <laughs> she was uh, the only one I, with, I share my life history with completely. Love of my life since I was 19. One friend wrote and said, Karen was the wind beneath Ron's wings, and that wind was gone in a day. Best day of her life. Heaven, Jesus. Worst day of mine. Worst day of her kid's life. Worst day of her grandkid's life. Talk about weak. I was a lost little boy all of a sudden. Helped a lot, a lot of other people, but I was a lost little boy. And I cried out to Jesus, and I'll tell you, when your heart is broken, it is wide open. It is ripped wide open. It isn't just a death that will do it. Any major life loss will do it to you. And when your heart is ripped wide open, something's going to take, is going to go deep inside of you and stay there and define the rest of your life. Could be bitterness, could be doubt, could be depression, or it could be Jesus. And for all my life of following him, I cried out to him as never before. And I can tell you today that he is more personal of a personal savior to me than he's ever been before. He's so real. He is so present. He is so everything he ever promised to be. And this guy who always put his list first and was pretty busy to stop for somebody's needs sometimes, the list doesn't win anymore. I think my heart's grown three sizes, which would make me a Grinch. I understand what Paul said, when I am weak, I'm strong. Don't, the wilderness you're in right now, the battle you're in, that's to break your hold, get out of the way, so there's no you. It's all him. And you begin to say, these weak times are good times because I will become something I've never been and taste my God like I've never tasted it before. So the little song I learned as a kid, it was right. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. One other champion's challenge to us. So by the way, being really realizing when you're weak, you're strong. You know what you know what you have a chance at? Resilience. Because once you get that right, you can be resilient in the darkest of times. And then uh, the last one, and uh, just quickly, from Jesus himself, he said this, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Now, let me tell you what he didn't say. He didn't say Christianity is the best religion. He didn't say 
uh, I want uh, that that uh, Christians were the issue. No, you know what he said. Jesus never said follow my followers. He never said follow my religion. He never said follow my rules. He never said follow my leaders. He said follow me. It's all about Jesus. We said, well, that isn't that kind of you know in our in our world of accepting everybody's belief. That's your truth. Wait a minute. That's pretty bold. I am the way. Jesus didn't say, I came to show you the way. Every religion says, we'll show you the way. He didn't come. He said, I am the way. I heard about a, a guy who was an explorer, and he was facing a day going through a dense jungle he had never been in before. He managed to hire a local guy to be his guide. It was in an, uh, an hour in of hacking this way through this almost impassable overgrowth. And, and uh, he said, is there a path here somewhere? And the guy turned to him and said, sir, I am the path. Jesus didn't come to show us a path to God. He is the truth. He is the way. He is the life. And so um, why is that true? Because our biggest issue is that the one who created us, we are away from him. Not his fault, it's my fault. The Bible gives us the answer to the question, why am I here in a few words? We were created by him and for him. Colossians 1.16, I'm created for a relationship with my creator, don't have it, because I have lived for me. I'm created for him and I have lived for me. I'm a spiritual hijacker. You had a hijacker speak for you this morning. But I spoke to a room full of hijackers because we've all hijacked our life from our creator. There's a death penalty for spiritual hijacking. can only be paid by someone dying, and someone did. The one you sinned against came and paid for your sin on a cross. So the only one who can possibly forgive your sin is the only one who paid for it the only one who died for it, and that's Jesus. And the only one who can give you eternal life is the only one who ever proved he has it. They say 100 billion people have lived on this planet, they estimate. 100 billion graves, one empty, because he walked out of it under his own, under his own power. That is Jesus. No one can give you eternal life unless he's got it and no one has proved he had it. But Jesus, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. So it's arguably Pontius Pilate who spoke one of the most important questions you will ever answer. What will you do with Jesus? Because you know what you have a chance at? You begin a relationship with him, you get eternal life from the moment he walks in. No religion can give that to you, even Christian religion can't give it to you. Jesus, he turns and he goes, there's, there's no path, there's a person, and it's me. Um, I'll just leave you with this. Um, I saw on the news several years ago about a New York, very prominent New York doctor, surgeon, 
who gives a year of, uh, excuse me, a month of his year uh, each year to go to some third world country and do what nobody else has been able to do there for people. And uh, he went to Costa Rica this particular summer and he was out in the jungle in a little makeshift hospital. And uh, he was operating on a five-year-old boy and the boy had lost a lot of blood. The problem was they found out that the boy had a blood type that only 2% of the human race has. And here they are out in the jungle. He excused himself, said, maintain him, I'll be back. And when he came back, he came back with the blood. Because amazingly, he was one of the 2%. That boy's life could only be saved by the blood of one man. This boy's life could only be saved by the blood of one man. This boy's life can only be saved by the blood of one man. And it is the death, the love of Jesus Christ that is the reason God brought you here to bring you into the relationship you were made for. So you will be with him forever someday. I am not the Messiah. When I am weak, I am strong. And Jesus is the end of your search. Let's pray. Just uh, in this quiet moment, if you really can't point to a time in your life when you actually said, Jesus, I'm yours from today on. I'm, I'm pinning all my hopes on you to have my sins forgiven, to get right with God, to get to heaven someday. Because you love me enough to die for me and you're powerful enough to conquer death. Why don't you tell him right now? Jesus, I've been running my life. I resign. It's all you from here. Jesus, thank you for dying for me and loving me. I don't know why you did, but thank you for loving me that much. And I'm pinning all my hopes on you beginning this morning. And on this day in October of 2023, from this day on, I am yours. We'll have a quiet for a minute so you can get it done. Lord, thank you for coming and walking among us today. Close enough that we can reach out and touch you. May we listen to what you brought us here to hear from you and obey. And I pray for the battles that are represented here and the broken things back home maybe. And I just pray, Lord, that um, it'll be different today because we will let you know that we know we are weak and that we are not the Messiah. And we'll get out of your way and let you do what only you can. Pray in Jesus' name. Thank you, man.